My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Just a couple of quick points before we get started on this week's episode. First of all, thank you to everyone who's messaged us with positive or constructive feedback. We take everything on board and we actually get really super, super excited. Probably too excited when we see that we have a new message or email. Um, I swear we're not weird, but it just happens. Second, we've had some feedback saying that we've been repeating some of the specialties, such as having two cardiology podcasts. When we set out to do this podcast, we wanted both the view of a consultant and the view of an accredited registrar for the different specialties. For this reason, you'll see that some of the specialties have two episodes, because we're essentially trying to give you a broader view and different opinions on the same matter. Hopefully this makes sense and hopefully you guys enjoy both of the episodes. But if you don't think this is helpful, please let us know. Lastly, we've started recording our next podcast series where we discover doctors who lead really interesting double lives. So we've been interviewing Doctors who are magicians, fashion designers, professional sports stars, or who've created apps or websites. If you know of a doctor who's leading an interesting double life, let us know so that we can interview them and have them up for our next series. Rest assured, however, that we'll still be releasing episodes in this series for a while yet. Thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. Today we're here with rheumatologist Dr. Michael Gingold, who works as a rheumatologist in Melbourne. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a bit about your journey from internship to where you are now? Sure. Um, So uh, I'll probably give away my age a little bit, but I I was an intern initially at the Alfred in 2002, um, which is a hospital here in Melbourne, Um, and then did my basic training through the Alfred, did my physician's exams, um, did my first year of rheumatology training at the Alfred, uh, second year here at Monash, um, which is where we're talking at the moment and where I am um, currently, and then spent two years working um, in Bath at the Royal National Hospital for Rheumatic Diseases, where I did a fellowship there, and then I came back and I've been working as a consultant here in Melbourne for the past uh, five or six years, six or actually six or seven years. Yep. Great. And uh, can you talk to us about your journey through your junior years and how you came to choose rheumatology? Yeah, sure. So I, um, so I think when you, well, I, I don't know about other people, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that most people when they finish their undergraduate degree aren't necessarily 100% sure of what they want to do. Um, and I was like that. Um, after my second year, I've taken quite a bit of time off, you know, it's a good opportunity. Yep. Um, so I took a bit of time off after my second year as a resident and did some um, locum work in the UK. Um, and there I worked as a rheumatology resident for about two months at a hospital in London and really enjoyed it. Um, and then when uh, we, it was time to do our physician's exams, I, you know, you kind of you have to study everything um, and um, or all the medical specialties, I should say. And um, as part of that, I found that rheumatology was was interesting um, and thought that it'd be worth worth a crack so that that's how I came to it um, yeah 
Did you consider anything else seriously along the way? Uh, I had a lot of exposure to renal medicine as well um, during my training. So I was a renal resident and I worked as like a junior renal registrar. So I did consider that. Um, I think there were a few factors about renal medicine that didn't draw me to it quite as much as rheumatology. Um, and I enjoyed doing oncology as well, but, you know, a bit hard as well. <laughs> I think it's a bit hard to do oncology. Yeah. Know, it's a um, pretty challenging specialty. I mean, they're all the specialties are challenging, but I think oncology had its own um, set of challenges dealing with, you know, dying patients as well. So that was, I think that was pretty hard to, to see myself doing long term. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> and what did you say was the reason for not going ahead with renal? Um, um, am I allowed to say dialysis? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. That's um, one of the options. Well, I think, no, look, I think that um, <clears throat> it, there's, I guess, you know, renal medicine's, I think, a, a, you know, a great branch of medicine and it has a lot of different facets to it. I don't think there was anything about renal that turned me off it, especially, or, you know, as I think it was more that I, I was more interested in rheumatology. Yeah, and at the time, obviously, you weren't a consultant, so you weren't, I guess, no. seeing it from the top down. What was it about rheumatology that drew you to it? Um, I really... So, there were a couple of things. So, my consultants seemed happy, um, which I don't know if it's been your experience, but not all consultants seem happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, as a general rule, rheumatologists are a reasonably happy bunch of doctors. Um, we can talk for, about reasons for why that might be later on, I guess. Um and I, I liked the way that um, they seem to have a relationship with their patients. So mm. even in the hospital system, which doesn't really lend itself to forming those sorts of longer-term relationships with patients because of the nature of the diseases that we treat, um, I noticed that a lot of my consultants had formed you know, relate, you know, good relationships, good doctor-patient relationships with their patients where there was a lot of trust and... and um, I think that was that was also part of what drew me towards it as well. Yeah, I guess you you are making quite long term relationships with a lot of your patients as well. Yeah, so they're chronic diseases, um, and that was one of the things that drew me towards rheumatology. I, I think one of the great aspects of general practice is that if you you know you become a GP, you you know you might deliver somebody you know, and and then follow them through you know through to middle age or look after their them when they're pregnant and then look after their kids as they yeah, look after generations well. so you look after yeah so you have that ongoing relationship with a patient and even a family as a general practitioner um i didn't see myself as a gp i didn't think i'd kind of be able to um i'd be I, the, the way i learn i guess probably lends lends itself more to being a specialist than a gp um the way and the way i think um so I thought, well, rheumatology is a pretty good specialty where you can actually form those sorts of long-term relationships with your patients. And, and, and I see that now, you know, like I've been in private practice for about six years and there are patients who, you know, they come in, you kind of, you have a bit of a chat and you ask them how their family is and kind of often if they're, you know, particularly if they're well, um, you know, often the medical stuff kind of takes a bit of a back seat and you just have a bit of a chat. Yep. Um, so I enjoy that aspect of it. And, um, I think that's part of what drew me towards it as well. Did you ever consider surgery at all? No. <laughs> oh, I'm too clumsy to be a surgeon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, no, it's, it's not something that I ever considered. Yeah. Really. It was, I was always going to do some sort of medical specialty. Yeah. I think pretty much from the moment I was an intern. I remember as a, <laughs> as a surgical intern, 
um, I worked at Sale, and um, I barely stepped foot in the operating theatre. Yeah. And um, my consultant and registrar at the time were, I think they kind of were initially a little bit bothered, but then they were quite happy because it meant that everything was taken care of on their wards, so the patient's getting, you know, atrial fibrillation post-operatively or needing their fluid balance done. I'd, I'd be quite happy doing all of that stuff and never step, stepping foot in the operating room. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, can you tell us a bit about your roles that you have now? Obviously, one of yeah. your major roles is being a consultant, but any other roles you might have, clinical or non-clinical? Yeah. So, look, I spend most of my time in clinical practice. Um, so I would do probably the equivalent, of, the equivalent of about three and a half days of private practice a week and the equivalent of a day a week of practice in public hospital. Um, I do teaching. Um, I um, so I do teaching for Monash University. Um, I do. Um, I'm involved in organising the teaching program for the Victorian rheumatology trainees. Um, so that involves, I guess, putting together their training program and, and organising the tutors from you know around Melbourne, various rheumatologists and also other specialists. Um, so th- most of what I do that's outside clinical practice is um, is teaching. Yep. Um, and you know we met at a at a at a GP education event as well. So I do a lot of that sort of stuff too. Um, so uh, it's mostly how I spend my professional time outside clinical work. And how do you get involved in these kinds of I guess academic things outside of clinical work? Are you mostly approached by people, or is it something you seek out, or does it just fall in your lap? Um, I think. Look, I think it's. It's something you have to seek out, really. It, it depends on how desperate they are for teachers. That's very true, yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, in my case, I was very desperate. Um, <laughs> but it, it does... Um, so, it depends a little bit on, on, on that. So, if there's a shortage, then you might be asked. But I think it's kind of... I feel like it's part of my responsibility, in yep. a way, as well. Um, so, you know, if I, wa- if I weren't asked, I would offer... Um, and certainly things like the training program for the rheumatology registrars, you, you volunteer for that. Yeah. Um, and that, that takes up quite a bit of time and it's unpaid and all that sort of stuff. You do it because it's enjoyable and, um, and you feel like, well, I feel like someone did it for me when I was training and now yeah. I'll do it for someone else and hopefully one day I'll be able to stop doing it yeah. and someone else will do it for, for the next generation. So I think that's how it works. Yeah, fair enough. Can you tell us about special, your specialty, about rheumatology, and what your typical clinical day would involve? Yeah, sure. Um, so normally I would work kind of 9 to 5 or 8 to 4, 8.30 to 4, um, seeing patients. Um, I'll take lunch breaks and <laughs> breaks as well. They can't be um, said about all specialties. Not all specialists, not all rheumatologists do that, believe it or not. Um, but um, I look... The, it, it's a bit of a mixture in terms of the sorts of patients that I see and it depends on where I am. Okay, so in private practice, there is a lot more um, inflammatory arthritis, um, also osteoarthritis um, and mechanical pain problems like shoulder pain, knee pain, hip pain, that sort of stuff. Um, and much less of the kind of severe inflammatory disorders that you would be familiar with if you've seen rheumatology patients in an inpatient setting. Okay. Yeah. But when I'm here at Monash in the clinic, you see I see a lot more of that sort of stuff because once they leave hospital, they need ongoing outpatient follow-up. And that would usually happen in the hospital. So although I do have some of those patients in my private practice, the split is much more 
in favour of those kind of chronic outpatient conditions, um, rather than the you know the, the conditions like vasculitis or lupus and those sorts of conditions where we'd see more in um, in, the, in the public hospital setting. So my day would be you know mostly seeing patients during those hours, um, and then there's a lot of other work that comes with it. So speaking to GPs, you know, answering queries from patients, answering queries from GPs. Um, I think as a, as a group, rheumatologists are pretty good at that. Um, there are some specialties where you know, patients might complain a lot that they try to contact their doctors and they're hard to contact. I think rheumatologists, as a rule, we're pretty good at um, you know, answering our patients' queries and answering our GP's queries. Yeah. Um, so Why do you think that is? Um, well, I think it's because if, if our patients are doing... Like, let's say someone rings about a query with their medications. Um, you know, some of our medications, if you take them the wrong way, they can be potentially toxic. Right? Yeah. But they're very safe if you take them in the appropriate way. So just as an example, if someone rings up saying, I've got a query about my medication, you, you probably want to answer that, you know, reasonably quickly, you know, within, yep. certainly within the day or within a few days um, and not wait weeks. Um, and I think that we're, you know, and, and because I think, like what I said before, because we have that kind of relationship with our patients already, I think it, it, it lends itself more to that. But I'm making a generalisation, so I could be wrong. Yeah. And would you say the majority of your work is more inpatient or more clinic-based? Much more clinic-based. So rheumatology is an outpatient specialty, yep. really. Um, and um, although we do have inpatients, um, that's not common. Um, and if you look at the size of the rheumatology you know, inpatient population in a hospital and compare it, say, to the cardiology yes. population or respiratory, it's pretty obvious that it's much smaller. But in terms of a clinic population, an outpatient population, it's much larger. Um, yeah. So what would you say is the ratio of, for example, outpatient clinics versus an inpatient ward round that you would do? I would say... Also, in the outpatient clinic, I'd probably see on my own somewhere between 10 and 12 patients in the morning. Yep. Um, in a ward round, on a ward round, you might you might only have three or four inpatients. Yep. But they would take quite a long time. Yep. Um, and there's often a lot of consults. So we get, we get mm. quite a lot of referrals from other units because our patients or other patients might develop out conditions while they're in hospital. Gout is a really common one, you know. Um, yep. So giving other units help with that but also patients that come in with might might be in with an undifferentiated presentation and you know that their parent unit is trying to work out what's wrong with them and will seek our advice is that one of the things that drew you to it the fact that there's a lot of consults or maybe even the fact that it's a lot of outpatient work as opposed um, to inpatient so i prefer outpatient work i think if you love going into the hospital and seeing inpatients rheumatology is probably not the specialty for you uh, because there's not a lot of that although you know, if you work in a public hospital, you'll get quite a bit of time doing that. Yep. I do about you know two about two months of ward service a year, roughly. Um, so, you know, it is an outpatient specialty, and I think if you want to be a rheumatologist doing clinical work, you've got to probably prepare yourself for quite a bit of time in the clinic. Um, having said that, you know, rheumatology, like other medical specialties, is lends itself to a lot of other things. You know, I've got a lot of colleagues who do very little clinical work and do mostly research and that might yep. be clinical research it might be basic science research um, and teaching and, and all of those kind of other aspects of, of being a doctor that um, 
that 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 we can draw on. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview, or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. What would you say is the most rewarding part about your specialty, obviously besides treating patients and making them feel better? So I guess it's more of a question of that what... That's the most rewarding part. Oh, of course it's the most rewarding <laughs> bit. But the problem is when you ask this question to everyone, that's what everyone says, it's treating patients. But I guess more on a more personal level, what yeah. is it about rheumatology that keeps you going? So it's a challenge, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it, is the, it is the treating the patients and everybody says that and that's because it is it's true it's very true you get a bit of a buzz and i think that sometimes you know that particularly in rheumatology at the moment where we've got a lot of medications now that treat diseases extremely well like rheumatoid arthritis that previously although they were treatable our patients would put up with quite a deal of pain and disability even when we thought they were doing quite well Um, but to see someone kind of walk in you know after six months of battling with rheumatoid symptoms and kind of being able to go about their day normally and walk, you know, and go to work and yep. look after their kids. So that is very rewarding. But um, you told me not to talk about that, <laughs> so I'll talk about something else, um, which is that, so it's the challenge, you know, and that's what's enjoyable about the job is that, you, you know, if I've got a, a morning in the rooms um, and I can look at my list and I know that I've got, you know, a handful of patients that are familiar to me, and then a couple that I don't know what's going to walk through the door. And it might be something that's really straightforward, like osteoarthritis at the base of their thumb, you know, or it might be something that's really complex, like an, some sort of undifferentiated inflammatory disease that's making them really sick and you kind of need to do your detective work to try to figure out, A, what's wrong, and then B, how you're going to make them better. Yeah. So that's, I guess, aside from the actual, you know, treating of patients and making them better... Um, it's the challenge. Is there a lot of detective work in rheumatology? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think there is to a degree. Um, I think there's a perception that it's a difficult specialty. Um, I, I don't think it is. I think it's a great specialty, but there are a lot of people out there who go, oh, too many weird diseases and <laughs> yeah. symptoms. But it's like anything. You, you kind of, you know, it's pattern recognition. It's, yeah. you know, you kind of... You ask you, you ask your standard questions. You you go through the you know you do a thorough examination and you know and you you make up a list of possible suspects in terms of diagnosis. So there is probably quite a lot of detective work, but I think that medicine in general is quite a bit of detective work. Yeah. yeah. Conversely, what aspect of the job do you think is the most difficult to deal with? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> so I think, look, I, I don't have... I have to say that I really, you know, I love my job. You know, yeah, I, I get up in the morning and I, and I like going... I actually like going to work, which you know, some people might say is a bit sad. Um, <laughs> but I think, it, look, you have to, you have, to have a certain um, sort of personality to be able to sit there and listen to people talking about being in pain all day. Yeah. Right? And so I don't know if that's necessarily a negative of the job because if it were a negative I probably wouldn't have done it because that's what everyone comes in complaining of but I think that that is that that is hard um, that that's hard for some people to deal with um, and you have to be able to kind of manage that 
in a way as an individual, you know, and try not to take on other people's burdens as your own. Um, so I think that's probably the hardest part of the job. We talked to uh, Michelle Leach yeah. about a similar thing. She's, she's a said, very famous rheumatologist. She's a very Michelle yes, Leach. she's a very yeah. famous rheumatologist, and she said very similar a very similar thing. It's the fact yeah. that everyone's coming in with pain. It's hard yeah. not to take. It's difficult to be talking about people's yeah, pain all day is. long. Mm. It is, and you, you kind of. Um, yeah, and you see people when they're at their lowest ebb often, yeah. you know, and you see patients who, you see things, and I think this is probably true for anyone who deals with people in their job, not just not, not just doctors, but, but other professions as well. But at times you see the best of people, which is lovely. Um, at times you see the worst of people as well, and the way that, um, you know, how some people, rather than having their family rally around them in times of adversity, they might be abandoned in times of adversity. And yeah. That's that's not, you know, that kind of, you know, uh, after a consultation like that, you, you can feel pretty pretty down and sorry for that person. Where do you see the field in the next five to ten years? Do you see it changing much? Because, I mean, um, I guess we've got the influx of the MABs and all these yeah, brand so new drugs. So the biologics have been around now for about you know fifteen years or so. Yep. So it's ever expanding, um, and we are getting better at managing these diseases. Not just because of the medications, but also because of um, treatment strategy. Okay, and um, and for using rheumatoid arthritis as the example, kind of treating to a particular target. The drugs, the new drugs, help you do that, um, but having like just a different mindset about yep. the way you treat these conditions. Um, so I think there'll be more evolution of that. There'll be a, hopefully more availability of the medications. Um, one of the biggest things that's going to change, so that you may or may not be aware that the biological medications are all very expensive. Yes. <laughs> um, and so we're limited in how we can prescribe them. Um, and over the past couple of years, the I guess what you'd best describe the equivalent of generics Yep. The monoclonal for the for the biologic medications, which are called biosimilars, because they're not technically generics. Um, they're coming out. A couple have already come out, um, and there'll be more on their way. And that's going to make uh, the yep. overall cost of the biological medications cheaper. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will be reinvested. That you know those savings will be reinvested in us being able to maybe prescribe the medications earlier, or prescribe them for a broader range of indications. Um, so hopefully that will become easier to do. Um, so I think that's where I see the, the medical side of it evolving yeah. over the next five to ten years. And do you see there being a need for more rheumatologists? Or yeah, that was one of the next thing I was going to say because I think that this is so. This you know we have a lot of old, older rheumatologists. So we're in the process of actually undertaking a review, a workforce review. Yeah. Okay of what's happening in, in the rheumatology world. Um, but I can tell you anecdotally, there seem to be a lot of older rheumatologists seeing a hell of a lot of patients. Um, and we're trying to get younger rheumatologists through um, seeing patients. But I guess um, there's more and more patients. The patients are more and more complex. Um, there's more and more that needs to be done for them with the newer treatments. So. We need more rheumatologists. I'm, to, I'm talking to the you know to the podcast listeners out there, <laughs> yeah. um, but it is um, it, it's 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 going to be an issue for us 
that hopefully we're addressing. We have more trainees now than we've ever had before in Victoria. Um, and hopefully they can all go out and at least most of them become clinical rheumatologists and kind of work at the so-called coalface. Yep. You know, yep. Seeing patients and, and taking over the work from the people who are, you know, imminently going to retire. Do you have an idea of how many people apply versus how many training positions there are? Um, I don't have an idea of how many apply. Yep. Um, the training positions um, are done on a kind of like a two-year cycle. I'm talking about in Victoria. Yep. Um, they're done on a two-year cycle, and over the course of the two years, all of the training positions across Victorian hospitals become available over that two-year period. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that adds up to... I can't calculate off the top of my head, but it would be about 10 or 11 positions, maybe yep. a bit more, maybe 12, over the course of... 10 the, to 12 positions. Yeah, over the course of the um, two-year period. But it might be that one year there's only four available, and the next year there's six, right. depending on who's finishing their training and what stage of their right. training they're at. Yeah, okay. And in terms of, I guess, different sites, so you've gone around the world, mm. you've done your fellowship in yep. Bath. Are there certain places that are rheumatology hubs that, I guess, if you're a keen rheumatologist, maybe yeah, you can do your are. elective there? Or Should I say Monash? No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that there are, I mean, all over the world. Uh, there's a number of centres in North America. Um, there's a couple, there's one in Toronto in particular, and in North America there's, you know, dozens. Um in um, in the UK, there's a few sites in London. There's Leeds, um, Manchester, Bath, where I went. Yep. Um, and then Western Europe. There's a number in Germany and Holland and France. So really, wherever you want to go, you want you can go wherever you want for an yep. elective for sure. Um, it's a, you know I'd recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, yeah it's a the, the, it, it's a worldwide community. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, there's many rheumatologists involved in academics within our university, So, yeah. for ex- like Michelle Leach, for example. Yep. Is there a reason that rheumatology seems to lend itself to academics? I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I've, I've thought about this. I, I think it might be the people, yep. in a way. Um, the detectives. Well, no, I, I don't know. I think, it, well, the, the detectives, uh, maybe. But I think, I think it's also just the people who are, who are here at the moment as well. You know, just happen to be, I, I think maybe it's just people who are, happen to be, you know, really dedicated to teaching. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's because they're rheumatologists or not. Yeah. It might just be, you know, they're good people. Yeah. Like could just be coincidence. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I've got an answer. What did, what did Michelle say to that question? Uh, I think, <laughs> oh. Sorry, you don't have to... I'm I can't a, remember I'm, now. This is, the interview's gone the wrong way around now. <laughs> yeah, asking you're asking me the questions, yeah. Um, can you tell us why are rheumatologists happy people? Um, I think we're happy because we've got a pretty good work-life balance, I think, in general. Yep. Um, and it's quite rewarding work, actually. Like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of leave work and I feel like I've done something you know um, that I've helped people so that gives you a high degree of job satisfaction um, and although you can't you know in some respects you can't always leave your work behind you know and there's there there are some after hours commitments it is much less than what there are for say if you were a trauma surgeon yeah um, 
and um, and I think you know that kind of work-life balance lends itself well to being happy. But having said that, the people who become trauma surgeons obviously love their love work what they're doing, yeah, and love what they do, and they might be happy too, but just express it differently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog. So you mentioned you kind of work at 8.30 to 4, 9.00 to 5.00. Yeah. I'm at work for longer than that. That's when I'm seeing patients. Oh, that's when you're seeing patients. Okay. I, I feel like I'm probably at work you know, an hour before that and an hour after that on average. So how many hours of, I guess, your week do you think is dedicated to work? The answer can't be too many, can it? Um, <laughs> um, it can be let honest. Let me think. It's, it would be... It'd be upwards of 40, yep. definitely. Yep. But it would be less than 50. Okay. 40 to 50 hours. That's suitably vague. Yep. And you mentioned that you do about two months of ward service a year, yep. all up. Yep. Um, do you have much on call or weekends? So during the ward service um, periods, I'm on call. Yeah. Um, and but you know we have registrars um, who are the first on call, and they contact us if they're not sure what to do or if someone's very sick or if you know for any reason if they need help. Really. Yep. Um, so although it is on call, it's not on call like when you're a registrar. Yep. Yeah, where you get called all the time. And how about the weekends? Do you do many weekends? So that's so the, the on call extends through the weekends. Okay. And, you know, and every now and then um, I'd need to come in on a weekend. It doesn't happen very often, but every now and then I would. Um, you know, maybe over the course of the two months, maybe once or twice maximum. And would you say what... I guess the current situation that you're in is that quite normal for a rheumatologist to be in, or a rheumatologist? What situation is that I guess uh, <laughs> so. For example, working two months of ward service yeah, and having I, look, I don't know. Um, there are quite a number of rheumatologists that don't do any um, that don't have a public hospital affiliation yep. and purely work in private. Um, and I guess for those people, they would some of them would admit patients privately yep. uh, to private hospitals, and some of them wouldn't. Um, and would have them admitted under other doctors, yep. um, and then look after them again when they when they leave hospital. Uh, yep. Um, so, what was the question again? Is your situation a so, normal one? Yeah. So I don't. Well, everyone's uh, everyone's a bit everyone, different. Everyone's a bit different. Bit there of a hard question are, to answer. Yeah, so there are many do- there are many rheumatologists who do public hospital work and do some ward service. Um, some might, might only do one month a year, some might do three or four months a year. Yep. There are some private rheumatologists who have many private inpatients, um, and by many, it's many by rheumatologists, yeah. um, um, <laughs> and might have you know, most weekends and where they pop into the hospital and yeah. see their patients. So I guess um, it's just what you want and yeah, how you yeah. make so it. So yep. you, can, you, can, you can adjust it according to how you want to live your life and, and how you want to work your so it's job. It's quite a flexible kind of specialty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are your interests outside of medicine and how do you fit them in? Um, so, I, so I joked with my son today before I came in that I was coming in to do a, um, a soccer podcast. Cause oh, really? That's what I pretty much <laughs> enjoy talking about and watching and that's what I listen to on podcasts. Yeah. Um, but um, so I do. So 
you know, look, I spend a lot of time with my family. I try to spend a lot of time with my family when I'm outside work. Yeah. Because um, my children are still at an age where they enjoy my company. And I don't know how much longer that <laughs> yeah. will continue for. Um, so, it, you know, it's mostly that. And, and I think things like, you know, exercising, um, you know, trying to keep your, yourself healthy inside. Mm-hmm. I try to run. I don't run very fast. Yeah. Um, it's more like a fast walk. But, you know, I think kind of doing that, you know, kind of. And do you get time to do that regularly? Like, are you able to schedule um, that in, or is it kind of only when you I, can there fit are in? Plenty of excuses to not exercise. <laughs> yeah, you know of that. course, yeah. Um, I know all of them. <laughs> I bet I, I bet I know more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's so there is the capacity for that. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, I, my weekends are basically my own. You know, so you know the the limits that I put on myself, you know, are mostly to do with what I want to do, not with what necessarily with what my job imposes on me so that you know i'm pretty lucky in that regard yeah uh two last questions what's the best investment you've made time money or otherwise best investment yeah well it won't be money because i i'm i should not be someone offering financial advice (laughs) um i think um look I, you know, look, I love my job as a rheumatologist, but my, you know, my personal life is much more important to me. Yeah. Right. So my um, in, investing time in my relationships with my, you know, with my kids, with my wife, that's that's what's most important to me. So that's the advice that I would give all those young people out. Good there. brownie points. Um, and I, I don't know what's the. How does my wife download this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'll send her a link, <laughs> a personal um, link. No, but it, it is. No, in, in all seriousness, that that's. I think that you know you invest your you invest your time into what you value. Yeah. Right. So if you're someone who doesn't have a family and loves your work and wants to invest in your you know time in your work, do that. You know, read articles, go to conferences learn more you know be the best you know doctor or whatever it is you can be and um and i have to say that i i try to do that um but you know i like to have to i like to balance my life with my family life my work life with my family life so that that's that's my that's it that's that's my advice yeah and the last question is what advice would you give to interns or junior doctors Uh, just to do rheumatology to do rheumatology (laughs) (laughs) um to what, what what advice would I give? Um, or what would you have liked to have known when you were an intern? Or what do you give, what advice do you give to your junior doctors? You can take the question anywhere you like. Okay, um, I will. Um, look, I think don't be afraid to kind of take chances and to not worry about what's going to happen kind of two or three steps down the road. Do you know what I mean? So if you desperately want to take a year off because you need a break and you want to go and do something different, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be jobs waiting for you when you come back. Yeah. You know, you know. Um, I, like I look at some of my colleagues who, like I, I took some, I took quite a bit of time off as I've already alluded to. Um, and, and that was one of the best times in my training and it gave it allowed me to kind of recharge my batteries a bit because it's a yep. hard slog you yeah i mean when i went to uni when i was you know in the old, <laughs> back in, in the, the old days, days yeah. you know, before the war it was a six-year degree yeah you know? um and it was, so it was a six-year degree and then you do your internship and two years of residency and then you do your physician's exams and you know so it, it, it drags on so yeah 
you know, if you want to take the time out to recharge your batteries, it's, I, that would that's probably the best advice I can give. But you know, don't worry about what will happen afterwards because it'll probably just probably take it'll work itself, itself out. Yeah. And just following on from that. So you, you took some time off. Do you mind telling us when in your, I guess, traineeship oh, yeah. you've taken so it off took, and what um, you did? So I took off after third year of uni. Um, I did a Bachelor of Medical Science, which doesn't sound like a year off. But yep. I just really hope my super project supervisor is not listening to this. Um, <laughs> I took, I, I managed to kind of do it in less than the year that was allocated and travelled for four months at yep. the end of the year. Um, she knew that that was my stated goal yeah. um, of the BMED site. Um, so I did that, and then after second year uni, second year resident, um, I took another year off um, and worked in London for six months and then travelled for six months. And then, um, again, I don't know that you'd call it taking time off because it was part of my training, but in a way going overseas for a fellowship for two years was was time out from life in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, you know, and it Different felt, pace. Yeah, and it, you know, it felt like time off in a way. Um, and so that was so yeah so you're a long time working do you know what I mean yeah you know make sure that you enjoy yourself fantastic there's great advice to end on really appreciate your time thank you for coming thanks for inviting me that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening make sure to keep in touch with us through social media our handle is at the med collab that's T-H-E-M-E-D-C-O-L-L-A-B on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. All right, guys, see you next week.